Let's turn this morning to the Gospel of John. And remember, this is God's holy word without error, all truth, the truth we need to hear. John 12 and then John 19. As we follow Christ to the cross, we begin here in John 12 with Palm Sunday. That Sunday before Good Friday, many years ago when he rode into Jerusalem. And then that Friday, Thursday night, he was arrested. And Friday, he was condemned first by a Jewish court and then by a Roman court. Oh, really, the whole world is guilty of crucifying Christ, Jews and Gentiles, all of us. John 12, page 1068, 1068. We'll read verses 1 through 19. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they give a dinner for him there, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus the next day. So that was Saturday evening. Now Sunday The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees. They went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king, the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written in Zechariah, the prophet, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So they end up arresting him, condemning him in a Jewish court, and then John 19, handing him over to a Roman court. They could condemn him as worthy of death, but they couldn't execute him. The Roman authorities had to do that. That's why they needed Pontius Pilate, the Roman judge, John 19, let's start to read at verse 1. 
page 1075, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to him, See, I am bringing him out to you, or said to them, the Jewish people, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it was given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you're not a friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words... He brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of the Passover, of the preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king. But Caesar, so he delivered them over him over to them to be crucified. And we want to look especially those last three verses. It was the day of the preparation of the Passover, about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is God's word. May he speak to us through it, brothers and sisters. In our Lord Jesus Christ, there are really two basic questions the whole world has to answer, we have to answer. Who is Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? And the second one is, what are you going to do with him? That was Pilate's question. We read that in Matthew and Mark. What shall I do with Jesus, the king? But we all need to ask and answer that question. What shall I do with Christ, the king of the Jews? That's a life and death question. Will we reject him? Be too busy for him? Not want to sacrifice the things we love for him? And go our own way? Or will we embrace him? Fall before him and say, I need you. Redeem me. Save me. Bring me into your kingdom. 
That's the king crisis that we want to talk about this morning. The king crisis. We saw that crisis facing Mary of Bethany, who saw Jesus as so valuable, he was priceless, and she poured out like a year's worth of wages on his head and feet in the ointment, the expensive ointment of pure nard. And on this side, there's Judas Iscariot selling him, saying, why are you wasting all this money on Jesus and selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave? What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? And today on Palm Sunday, the same issue comes up before us. Pilate says to the Jews, behold your king. In other words, what are you going to do with him? God speaking through him. Even though Pilate doesn't know what he means, he's saying the truth. Behold your king. What are you going to do with him? It's put before us as he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey as the king of the Jews. The question is put before us, the king crisis also through Pilate. Brothers and sisters, if you believe in him, he will save you and give you everlasting life. If you do not believe in him, you will perish in your sins forever. The king crisis, we face it today in this scripture. God puts that before us. We want to see three things. First, how the king is declared. Then how he's denounced and then how he's delivered over to be crucified. He's declared, he's denounced, and he's delivered over. First, he's declared. Twice, actually, we read it. First on Palm Sunday. As a crowd of pilgrims surround Jerusalem, or Jesus, and they're on the way to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Everybody's so excited about Jesus. And they cry, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of the Jews. And they praise him, they exalt him as the king, the Messiah, who's going to come and redeem us. And Jesus acted out his own declaration of kingship when he took a donkey, sat on it, and rode in Jerusalem to fulfill Zechariah 9, verse 9. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. By his action, he declares himself the king of the Jews. And you know, not the king of the Jews only, but he came through the Jewish people to be king of the whole world, Gentiles too. And then five days later, the king is declared again, this time on Good Friday morning, about the sixth hour, early in the morning. And Pilate, who's acting on behalf of God's authority, that's what Jesus said, you would have no authority, Pilate, unless it was given to you from above, from God. God puts you, the judge and governor. Remember, Pilate is Caesar's representative governing Judea, and he functions both as as a governor and a judge. You, You got your authority from God, so now... He speaks the truth on behalf of God. Behold your king. 
Behold your king. He doesn't believe in truth. Remember, he, chapter 18, Jesus says, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Pilate says, what is truth? He's an agnostic. If there is truth, you can never know it. But he speaks the truth anyway as God's messenger. Behold your king. And once more, isn't God so merciful? How the people are just yelling to get rid of Jesus and God once more in mercy puts him before the people, the Jewish people, Jesus' own people. Here he is. I've sent you the Messiah, your Savior, the one you need, the one you've been looking forward to for thousands of years in the Old Testament. Believe in him, come to him. Give up on yourself, repent of your sins, give your life to him, surrender to him, trust in him and follow him and obey him as your king. And he'll save you from your sins and your sicknesses and from God's judgment and from death and give you life, eternal life. Really, you know, Jesus has been declaring his kingship for three years in his public ministry. By the authority of his teaching and his miracles. You want to see what kind of a king he is? Look at his miracles. He forgave sins. He cast demons out of people. He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame walk. He walked on water. He fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. He raised the dead. And that's Jesus declaring, I have power over creation. I have power over sin, Satan, demons, sickness. I have power over death. All the issues of your life are solved by Jesus. What a powerful, holy, loving, and merciful king. Behold your king. People of God, behold your king. What will you do with him? You remember how John the Baptist was in prison? And he wondered, who is Jesus? So he sent messengers to Jesus to ask him, are you the one the Messiah who was promised, or should we look for somebody else? Are you the king of the Jews? Basically is what he meant. And then Jesus answered the messengers, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Go tell John that. His works declare him king, the king we need. Behold your king. And that's for us too, brothers and sisters, to hear Jesus is your king. And to know this is true 
and to embrace him as your king who has come to save you from your sins and from all your misery and to heal all your sicknesses, to redeem your life from the pit, to crown you with loving kindness and tender mercies and to renew your youth like the eagles. What will you do with him? Put your life in his powerful, gentle hands. He's the one who won't break a bruised reed and he won't snuff out a smoldering wick. He is so kind and gentle to every needy sinner who comes to him. So come to him. The king will give you rest. He'll give you rest. Well, let me mention a few things. He'll give you rest from your guilt. That weighs you down. Give you rest from the sin that wants to eat up your life. Your lust. Pride. Anger. Envy. Alcohol. Bitterness. Unforgiveness. Holding a grudge. Self-righteousness. These are destructive. They're consuming. They're poison. Kill you. He'll give you rest from your guilt, from your sin that is poisoning you and wants to kill you, from the worry that saps you of your energy and joy. He'll give you rest from Satan's attacks and accusations, rest from being afraid of God's wrath and judgment and hell. Aren't you? Aren't those scary? But in Jesus, you find a protector and a savior who gives you rest from all that and brings you into God's kingdom and makes you God's child. Behold your king. Look at him and live. But what did the Jewish people do with him? They denounced him, we see secondly. And these next words I find to be some of the most chilling words in the Bible. Behold your king, Pilate says to the Jews. Look at verse 15. They cry out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Now, Pilate himself is having a king crisis. He's torn between two competing desires. He knows Jesus is innocent and his conscience is stirring him, telling him, you got to release Jesus. Even Pilate's wife had a dream telling Pilate, have nothing to do with that righteous man. He's innocent. So he's trying so many different maneuvers to, to set Jesus free, to release him. But on the other hand, he greatly fears Caesar, his boss, Tiberius Caesar. If the Jews riot, if the Jews report to Caesar that Pilate is supporting a, another king, well, Tiberius was merciless. He would kill first and then ask questions. He would swoop down on Pilate and have his head so fast. So he's got this king crisis. Jesus or Caesar, and because he's so in love with himself and protecting his own skin and his position and power and authority, he opts for Caesar. 
But the major king crisis here is the crisis of the Jewish nation and especially its leaders. Behold your king. But what do they do with him who's the Messiah, the savior of the world? This is what's shocking. Just a few days earlier, they're shouting, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They're blessing him. And now five days later, they're turning on him and denouncing him openly and viciously. And they're cursing him. Look what they say. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. That's curse language. Away with him. Let the earth be rid of him. Get him off the planet. Crucify him. That was a death. Cursed by God to be hung from a tree. It was reserved for the lowest, the vilest, the wickedest, the worst. And Pilate says, you want me to crucify your king? And here are the words that are most chilling. The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. And for the Jews to say that is the ultimate blasphemy. Because their whole existence as a people is taken up in honoring God as their king and accepting his promised Messiah to be their king. And for them to say, we have no allegiance to God. We have no allegiance to his Messiah. Caesar is our man. They openly renounce God's sacred covenant. One author writes, this utterance is the formal abdication of the messianic hope. And the chief priests aren't alone. The crowds join in. And here's the scary thing. John Calvin says, the insanity that unbelief can drive you to when you're pushed in the king crisis. Will it be Caesar or Jesus? And if you make the wrong choice, you'll be driven to deeper and deeper insanity and evil choices because you've denounced the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what's driving this? Why do the the Jewish leaders, the chief priests say, we have no king but Caesar, which is so, such an apostasy, such a blasphemy against God and his king. Well, context. If you go back to John 11, where Jesus has risen or raised Lazarus from the dead, suddenly there's a massive conversion to Jesus Christ. People are following and they're believing in him and following him and the leader is saying, we can't have this. Listen to what they say. So many people were coming to faith and flocking after Jesus. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, the Sanhedrin and said, what are we to do? This man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. What's driving them? 
fear. They're scared that Jesus will become king. And if he becomes king, Caesar is going to descend on them with his armies and they're going to lose their power, their position, and their nation. And they're driven by self-preservation. We can't lose our nation. We can't lose our place. And just like Peter, remember, who denied Christ to save his own skin. So these people are denying, denouncing Christ to save their own skin, their own place, their own comforts. That's us. Brothers and sisters, millions and millions of those who encounter Christ reject him. Why? They're scared of losing their way of life. They're scared of losing their friends, their jobs. They're afraid that they're going to lose their earthly inheritance. They're afraid they're going to lose their comfortable way of life. They want to keep their family happy. You know, this was St. Augustine's struggle when he was coming under the preach, preaching of Ambrose and been being fronted with, confronted with King Jesus in, in the preaching of the word. He had this king crisis. He so badly wanted to bow down to Jesus or knew he should, but on the other hand, he was in an adulterous relationship, having an affair with a woman and he loved that sin so much. He said, if I let go of that, I'm going to lose all my happiness. So instead of choosing King Jesus, he rejected him and chose his adultery, his life of sin instead. Because he thought that's where his joy and then he saw this is an idol. This relationship can't give me life or joy. I'm going to perish. And he surrendered to King Jesus. I need Christ to have life and joy and forgiveness. And those chilling words, we have no king but Caesar. Or interpreted we reject Jesus because we want to keep our comfortable way of life. We want to hold on to our pet sins. Isn't that the crisis we all face? Don't you hear Christ calling you to embrace him as your king? And are you afraid of letting go of your sinful loves? Are you afraid that believing and following Christ will cost you your friends and your reputation? And the buzz and the feeling of satisfaction that sin gives you? No, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because coming to the Lord Jesus Christ is not going to kill you. It's going to save you. It's rejecting him that's going to kill you. Remember how the, the Jewish people said, we want to hold on to our place in our nation, so let's get rid of Christ. And then 
They rejected Christ, and in 70 AD, the Romans ran over the temple and the city of Jerusalem, destroyed it. They lost it. They lost it. But if you give your life to Jesus, you're putting your life in the hands of the most powerful and most loving king ever who can do anything and everything to save you. Just for a moment then, we see the king is delivered over to death. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Pilate caves to the Jewish craving. Okay, I don't want to risk being reported to Caesar. Here you go. Do with him what you want. Go and crucify him. He delivers them over, him over to their will. And what's most amazing is that Jesus remains our king through all this. And our wickedness is great, but his grace is greater. Jesus didn't say, well, if that's the way you're going to treat me, guys, why do I bother going through all this for you? You're on your own. I quit. We would have deserved that. No savior, no cross, nobody taking the curse for us, coming under the judgment seat of God. But Jesus submits to Pilate sitting on the stone pavement, the Gabbatha, the judgment seat, and being delivered over to judgment for us. What a king who is willing to keep on going and stay the course and pay the price to redeem us from our sin and from God's judgment and God's wrath, to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness and of Satan and bring us into God's kingdom of marvelous light and joy and freedom. And what's most amazing you think, how could a sin like that? We have no king but Caesar. How could that ever be forgiven? And yet many of these chief priests later believed in Jesus. And they were forgiven that terrible sin. And brought into the kingdom. Behold your king. He is so glorious. He's so wonderful. No matter what sin you've committed, if you give that to him and give yourself to him, he'll wash you, make you clean, give you to God. God will become your father. You'll become his child. You'll belong to his kingdom forever. There's even a tradition, and we don't know if it actually happened, that Pontius Pilate and his wife were later converted. The church father, Tertullian, speaks about that. And the Ethiopian church still today holds to that tradition. We don't know. 
But it certainly is possible. And it certainly is true that if they had repented of their sin, if Pilate did, and confessed the Lord Jesus Christ and come to him, that king who was condemned by Pontius Pilate and delivered over to crucifixion, that king would have freely forgiven him and given him a rich welcome into his kingdom. We know that he's a great king, the greatest, and he was enthroned upon that awful tree to save sinners like you and me. And if you give your sin and your life to him, he will give you a rich welcome into his kingdom. He will never turn you away. But if you harden your heart against him to stay in your sin and stay who you are, you will never be saved. Never. So today the king of glory says, turn to me all you ends of the earth and be saved. Redeemer, come with us abide. Our hearts to thee we open wide. Let us thy inner presence feel. Thy grace and love in us reveal. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we don't need assistance. We need rescue. We don't need a little bit of help. We need resurrection. We need redemption. We don't need a small adjustment. We need to be rebuilt from the ground up, inside out. Today we give ourselves to you, Lord Jesus. You're the only king who can do that great work of salvation in our lives. Please take us. Please remake us. Please bring us to the Father. Please give us your kingdom. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.